Well, hello. Thanks for stopping by. And you have wandered into Dharma Punks, New York, our Tuesday evening online by courtesy of the Intertube and new technologies such as Zoom allows me in my humble abode in Brooklyn to send out signals to my friends out there in the world where for a half an hour I'll ramble on about various topics that may or may not be of interest and then there'll be time for us to practice using some of the tools that, uh, or the themes that come up in these aforementioned ramblings, and then there'll be time set aside for you to ask any questions or offer any thoughts, and that is highly encouraged. So, um, we have an in-person gathering at Center Yoga. This will be the first Sunday of November for the 6th. Information on the dharmapunksnyc.com website. If you'd like to sign up, generally the cost for the entire day is $20 or something like that. We try to keep it affordable. And uh, speaking of funds. Uh, everything I do is provided by donation only, the counseling, the teaching. So if you'd like to support uh, my work as a Buddhist pastor, and also like the Tuesday class, uh, the information is on the website, dharmapunksnyc.com. The Venmo is DharmaPunksNYC. There's a PayPal and a Patreon and all that you can find on the website. So thanks for your consideration to keep me going as a teacher. I appreciate it. And tonight we're talking about understanding how to calm and regulate the nervous system. And uh, we're going to be summarizing some of the recent uh, clinical findings by the great neurologist Stephen Porges, along with work of other uh, contemporary uh, clinical psychologists, such as Barbara Fredrickson and her work uh, Love 2.0 and... Uh, a general theory of love by Lewis and um, uh, other books on the polyvagal theory of the nervous system. I think hopefully some of this will be of interest. It might even uh, reveal a thing or two about our uh, how our brains work that might be helpful as we move through our lives. So settle in. The first part will be pretty dense with information. The second part will actually be putting some of the tools into practice. So how we think, how we act, whether we can relax and engage with others or whether we become irritable or anxious or we shut down, or we seek to run away and hide, or we become fixated, are due to the settings of our autonomic nervous system. Our autonomic nervous system are the nerves that regulate our unconscious actions. And most essentially, they respond to cues of safety, danger, or even life-threatening events from the world around us. So there are three settings of our autonomic nervous system, and it's important to know the distinction between them uh, 
so that uh, we can, moving forward, keep ourselves in the setting that's most appropriate for the situation that we're in. So I'm going to go through these three settings, and I'm going to talk a, bit, a little bit about how they work, uh, what they're responsible for, what the positives of each setting of the nervous system, and also the drawbacks. So we're going to start by evolutionary order. The oldest setting of the of the human autonomic nervous system is the ancient parasympathetic nervous system, which is uh, regulated largely by the lower vagus nerve, which runs from the back of your head down the sides of your throat to the front of your throat, and then the nerves run down to the heart and to the belly. And this nerve helps uh, in so many different ways. Um, it is responsible for life-sustaining processes like digestion and heart rate. It's responsible for how hot or cold we feel very often. It's also in the ancient parasympathetic system, the lower part, um, is responsible for the freeze response in humans when we suddenly stop with shock and we dissociate, check out. Um, this is the reptilian response to threat where we, under attack, play dead. And when it's engaged, it very often can lead to a numbing of sensations, numbing of pain, so that if we were under attack, we wouldn't feel the, or even we, it would numb out the experience. This uh, old response is, of course, like all settings of the nervous system, protective in extreme uh, life or death situations, also when we're very ill and we have we feel just the need to sleep and we have brain fog and it's very difficult to focus our attention, we're in the ancient parasympathetic. Now, the good is that uh, when we're under attack, it maximizes our chance of survival if we can't fight back. It makes us go limp and act like we're dead, which in many, if we're under attacks, will very often lead to uh, a predator becoming disinterested. Um, it also allows us to recover from illness. It restores sleep. And of course, as I mentioned, it numbs pain. So if we're an extremely life-threatening situation, we go completely numb. The bad is that very often individuals who've experienced trauma in their life have a predilection to fall into this ancient parasympathetic. It's a break that immobilizes us, and it leads to very sharp states of dissociation. We become emotionally numb uh, detached or frozen in place, states of depression and what's known as psychomotor retardation, where we are sluggish, can't think, can't respond, are associated with this ancient parasympathetic nervous system. So that's the oldest setting the ancient parasympathetic, and it uses the lower settings of the dorsal, the vagal nervous system. The vagus nerve is like the key to it. The second setting of the nervous system is the sympathetic, which does the exact opposite of the parasympathetic. It's mobilization. It's threat detection. It's becoming very alert. And when we're in the presence of a threat that we can respond to, not an attack that's over, uh, that we can survive, which would activate the ancient parasympathetic, mm -hmm. but when we can survive a threatening situation by running or fighting back or uh, taking an action, 
the sympathetic nervous system, which uses the nerves of the spinal cord, um, lead to a startle response. Adrenaline is secreted. Our heart beats faster. Blood pressure raises. Our muscles contract in readiness. We breathe rapidly. Our senses become sharper. And digestion stops because it's in the parasympathetic that we can digest, but in the sympathetic, when we're surviving, it really wasn't important for us to digest food. So all of the blood flows away from the stomach to the limbs, and all of that is initiated by adrenaline. Um, over time, if the stressors remain constant or we have chronic stress, eventually the adrenaline subsides and we maintain alertness through the stress hormone cortisol. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So the good of the sympathetic nervous system is that it allows us to threat, respond to immediate threats that we can survive. If you've ever stepped off a curb and was nearly about to get uh, sideswiped by a car, the thing that allowed you to suddenly stop or uh, move back was your sympathetic nervous system. If you are walking in the woods and you hear a sudden sound, the thing that makes you more alert, more sensory aware, that races your heart and you start becoming ready to run, that's your sympathetic nervous system. If we're playing a sport, that's the sympathetic nervous system that allows us to run faster, to kick a soccer ball farther, or to uh, have all of the skills uh, and flexibility that allows us to respond to an athletic event. Sex is a sympathetic, largely, event. It's only in the very last instance that it becomes parasympathetic. So being on the ball, alert in situations where we have to respond quickly, uh, maybe situations in some people's work, uh, perhaps somebody who works in, I don't know, the stock market who has to make very, very fast momentary decisions might be in the sympathetic nervous system. So it has very real uh, applications in our day-to-day -day life. And, uh, but if we have chronic stress, a tendency to stay in the sympathetic nervous system for too long from, for example, uh, an anxiety disorder or uh, events of unreliable attachment in childhood or too many chronic stressors in our day-to-day -day work, then the long-term results of the, horm the stress hormone cortisol is insomnia, buildup of fat tissue, weight gain, increased appetite, uh, uh, coupled with times of fatigue, because the longer we stay in it, we then collapse. We have disrupted sleep. It leads to all kinds of digestive disorders, that are just terrible. One of the first symptoms of, um, of chronic stress are just all different kinds of digestive disorders uh, that are very similar to Crohn's disease and others, high blood pressure, memory disruption, uh, cortisol damages and inhibits the immune system. It makes us prone to panic attacks and substance dependence to switch off the sympathetic nervous system. People become reliable, reliant on either alcohol and benzos to switch themselves down. There's a preponderance of other illnesses, including cancers that have to do with having a immune system that is hindered by too much stress. And there are, yes, countless clinical studies showing the relationship between chronic stress, diabetes, cancers, and so on and so forth. So chronic stress, as opposed to stress in response to a situation 
that arises in passing, but chronic stress is absolutely terrible for us. So we've covered so far the ancient parasympathetic and the sympathetic, but now it's time to talk about the highest state, the most recent uh, setting of the nervous system, which developed a couple of millions of years ago, as opposed to the hundreds of millions of years ago from the first two settings. And this is the modern contemporary parasympathetic, which uses the upper vagus nerves, not the lower, which goes down to the heart and belly and puts the brakes on. The contemporary parasympathetic allows us to use the nerves in our faces to express our emotions visibly allows us to emotionally resonate with others. It allows us to be calm. It regulates our ability to engage with others. When we're in this state, which is also known as social engage, rest and digest, homeostasis, or the window of tolerance, they all mean the same thing. We're in the the modern parasympathetic state or the window of tolerance. It's called the window of tolerance because we're neither shut down and depressed and dissociative due to the old parasympathetic, nor are we anxious and in constant hypervigilance and threat detection of the sympathetic. We're between the two. We're balanced. So we're working, we're feeling safe and secure, we can express ourselves easily, we're confident, we're calm, we're happy, we're attentive, we're interested in others, we're ready, we're relaxed, and there's very, very few bads about the modern parasympathetic. About the only bad thing about it is if you're in a life-threatening situation and you're too calm, well, that would be not a good thing if there's a fire and you're too calm to get up and leave. Sure. But really for uh, the sake of this talk and for the sake of contemporary um, clinical theory, there really isn't a bad side to being in the social engage setting. Um, I would also say if in some situations in life where people are around extremely aggressive people and they stay too calm and they don't know how to set boundaries, well, maybe that would be another drawback. But most of the time, if you're in your social engaged setting, you're going to be pretty healthy. You're going to have good relationships. You're going to be pretty creative. You're going to be very calm and confident. And it'll have all the... Um, the attributes that you want to have as a human being. So to summarize the three settings, the para, ancient parasympathetic is like slamming the brakes of the car. The sympathetic nervous system is what revs the gas and makes us go faster and faster and faster. And the social engage or the window of tolerance is just when we're cruising along. We're not hitting the brakes. We're not hitting the gas to go faster. We're just cruising. And we're switched between these three states by unconscious automatic processes, which are well below the level of consciousness. We're not aware of the switching between being calm to being hypervigilant to being shut down. This is not the brain making a cognitive choice. The process today is known by the term neuroception. You don't have to know that term. You just have to know that what switches us from calm to anxious and threat detect to shut down and dissociative are unconscious regions of the amygdala, the hypothalamus, the medulla, your brainstem, and all of these regions respond to stimuli we are not aware of. We These regions in the background, while we're thinking our thoughts, engaged in our day-to-day -day life, they are monitoring our environment, our internal body states, and our nonverbal cues of other people for signs of safety or threat. And if something starts to create a, a situation that reminds us of a threat in our past or a situation in our past where we felt unsafe, 
it will start to switch us from social and gave into that anxious, sympathetic nervous system state. So our nervous systems are constantly reaching out into the world, looking for signs of safety or danger. If we experience from other people good eye contact, resonant facial expressions where when we smile, they smile, when they, when we feel sad, they mirror that, when we feel concerned, they express something similar to that on their face. If we feel that there's a, we're seen and we are empathized with, then we'll relax. But if, on the other hand, we reach out and we're in interaction with others and we receive indifference or disconnection, well, then our nervous system will start to switch us into that mobilized, anxious, I have to do something state. So let's look at an example. Suppose you're meeting a very new friend at a coffee shop. You walk into the coffee shop and you make eye contact and you, the, this new friend looks at you and smiles and starts look at, you know, reflects a positive engaged expression. Then you are going to be shifted into a uh, socially engaged rest and digest regulated state. But suppose on the other hand, um, you walk, while you're talking to your friend, you suddenly notice that they're lost in thought, that they're suddenly checking their phone, that they're looking around the room, that they're no longer paying attention to what you're saying. This will, even if you're not aware of it, your nervous system will note it and will start to activate you into a sympathetic aroused state. Now you are in a threat detection and you'll start to breathe faster. Your muscles will contract. Your belly will stop, will clench. You'll stop digesting food and you'll change the subject or do something to try to maintain a connection. Now, suppose in this meeting at the coffee shop, you go to the bathroom and when you come back, your friend has left. Well, that would switch you, might very well switch you into a dorsal dive, into the ancient parasympathetic, and you might become suddenly shocked, depressed. You might experience a kind of dissociative state. So to stay in uh, in this ballyhooed, uh, desirable state of social engage, we want to experience as much attunement with others, where people make eye contact, where our heart rates and breathing go in sync. Um, during conflict, when we lose eye contact, when someone turns away or interrupts us, our automatic autonomic nervous systems initiate our survival response. And we may become angered or shut down. We might feel desire to leave. We might become desperate or compliant, or uh, we might engage in uh, uh, trying to maintain their interest by saying things that are not authentic. So it should be obvious by now that life-altering traumatic events can leave lasting imprints on our autonomic nervous system, which makes us prone to anxiety or prone to dissociation and depression. So what happens is during traumas, the amygdala uh, very often never learns that the trauma is fully over due to a catastrophic series of events where other inhibitory parts of the hypothalamus, I'm sorry, the hippocampus shut down. And so the amygdala is left in the state of seeing or expecting abandonment or attack to come from everywhere. But these all these 
altering events don't have to be singular events. They can be an entire pattern of events from childhood. If as a regular relational event with our caregivers or our siblings, we experience neglect or shaming or verbal abuse, that too can leave a lasting bias in our autonomic nervous system where literally our amygdalas, the unconscious regions of the the lower brain as well as the brain stem and other and the medulla are constantly expecting to be abandoned or constantly expecting to be attacked or constantly expecting to be verbally shamed and so uh, individuals who've been in relationships with narcissists for a long time afterwards can have this heightened state so it's important to know if what setting our nervous system is in, it's important to know, for example, if your nervous system is in social engage before you engage with others. Our attention, if we're in social engage, will settle easily. We'll be able to pay attention to something we're reading. If we're not in social engage, we'll start jumping all over the place. We'll be distracted. We won't be able to focus our heartbeats will race even if we're seated. Our bellies will be tight if we're not in social engaged. If we're in social engaged, our bellies will be soft. If um, we're relaxed, we'll be open to whatever the agenda is. But if we're in a heightened state, we'll need to say something right now or do something right now. So it's important to wait before having conversations or engaging with others on important interactions to make sure we're in the right setting of our nervous system. Again, we want to be, our heartbeats are slow, below 75 beats per minute. Our attention can settle easily. Our bellies are soft. Our exhalations are long. There's no sense I have to do something right now. And for those of us who are prone to dissociation, it's worth knowing the signs of when our, we're in a hyperactive state and we're about to shut down. For those of us, our senses will, start being, will stop being less sharp. The world will seem further away. And for those people, it's important to stand up, to tap ourselves, to name five colors or sounds from the environment or to squeeze the muscles in our legs and so on and so forth, our calves. So understanding our nervous system and its protective intent reduces the shame we have for being at times anxious or panicky or freeze responses, because we'll understand that these originated in protective survival. They're not uh, mistakes. They're simply settings that got locked in due to previous traumatic events in life. And as we become more aware of how safe cues of safety and danger in our environment um, of, and in our bodies shift us, we'll learn how to uh, reset our nervous system to calm. The goal of, for me, in many ways, counseling and spiritual practice is to show the brain uh, how to return to calm and socially engaged when we're safe, to reorient us to safety cues, to uh, restore our nervous systems back to their original settings before we experienced traumas or abandonments or rejections in life. So to orient to safety cues and to reset our nervous systems, it's worthwhile on a regular basis to practice looking away from uh, uh, stimuli that triggers the nervous system. And that's looking away at face from faces that are inscrutable from crowds of people look towards open space to nature to windows and doorways <clears throat> it's important to we can override the brain's innate 
threat detection attentional system, which is always wandering, looking for where's the next bad news going to happen. We can use our left hemispheres to override that by simply saying, I'm going to look right now for signs of safety. So if in your, you're in your environment right now, look for a window or look for a plant or look for a piece of art on a wall and just rest your gaze on it for a moment and just allow yourself to settle your attention on that. And that's one of the fastest ways to restore or reset our nervous system. Another process is softening the belly. Softening the belly stimulates the vagus nerve. It brings us back down from anxious to socially engaged. Other ways we can stimulate the vagus nerve, placing a hand on our heart center. So I like to do this or placing a hand on the back of our neck. That's where the vagus nerve runs from the back of the the lower regions of the skull down the neck. You can place a hand over your eyes. Some people like the butterfly hug and taps where you just go like this, putting, crossing your hands on your chest and then tapping with your left and your right, back and forward. Uh, long exhalations are parasympathetic as well as sighs or hums can activate the vagus nerve and restore us to a non-anxious state. So going, um, a hum. That's why in spiritual practices, the word, uh, the sound um resonates with the vagus nerve. Another way to calm ourselves is to titrate, move slower. Remember, when we're in the activated sympathetic nervous system, we're moving fast. We're in a mobilized, I have to do something right now. We're thinking repetitive survival-based thoughts. We're constantly scanning for threats around us. So moving slower moving evenly towards destinations, shifting our, the focus of our attention as infrequently as possible, looking at something that restores calm. People who wear soothing soft fabrics report that it keeps them more in a uh, regulated state. It's very easy to think ourselves into stress, as the great uh, behavioral psychologist Robert Sapolsky notes, but it's much harder to think our way out. So if we're prone to visual, to catastrophizing, i.e. visualizing scary outcomes, when these scary images come up in the mind, practice making the images smaller or viewing them from a different angle or imagine writing out a catastrophe on a piece of paper and then imagine crumpling it up and throwing it away. These are some of the tools I've used with uh, people and counseling amongst many that help down-regulate the tension to think our way back into stress. Many, many, many contemporary clinical studies show that Secure priming is a very, very good way to regulate the nervous system. So what we want to do is be able to visualize mental representations of safe, soothing, appreciative people or places, memories of natural settings, open doors, floating. It's not a coincidence that all of these are reflected in early Buddhist tools of uh, Sila Nusati, Kaga Nusati, the Buddha spoke in the Ten Recollections of visualizing people that we experience gratitude towards people who have been skillful towards us places santi nusati where we've experienced peace and calm deva nusati people that have been protective visualizing 
all of these individuals looking at us with a resonant facial expression. Um, so these are known as savoring practices. And what they do is they prime, they literally expose the amygdala and the ancient autonomic nervous system to images of security. They allow the nervous system to down-regulate. So to summarize, the key tools in regulating our nervous systems and restoring calm are one, to regularly practice orienting towards safety cues in our environment. The more we lose, we go off into thoughts about stressful possibilities in our future, the more likely we are to switch back into the fight-flight threat detection of the sympathetic nervous system, and we'll keep ourselves in a chronic stress state. What we want to do is look for signs in our direct environment of safety, nature, windows, doorways, soothing sounds, soothing sensations of fabric. We want to soften the belly to stimulate the nervous system, place a hand on our heart center, our neck, cover our eyes. We want to move slower and evenly towards destinations. We want to minimize uh, the, the way, the intensity of catastrophizing thoughts or give ourselves a focus on a rewarding plan, planning a someplace we'd like to visit or a friend we'd like to reconnect with or something we'd like to do to switch the brain away from triggering thoughts. And we want to prime the nervous system with images of places and people that make us feel secure. So in our meditation tonight, we're going to practice the entire process of resetting the nervous system from a state of uh, a kind of ongoing threat detect, uh, anxious predisposition back to a more uh, socially engaged homeostatic state where we're nicely balanced between activate and deactivate where we're not putting our we're not pumping the brakes we're not pumping the gas we're just cruising so thank you for listening i hope something in that talk was of interest and what i'm going to invite you to do now is practice resetting your nervous system by first removing your attention from the uh, screen, uh, look away from whatever you were watching to uh, uh, be a part of the Zoom meeting and just, uh, if you will, find a really comfortable seated position. It's important not to be too stiff or rigid, nor so over-relaxed that we fall asleep, because all that will do is switch us into the ancient parasympathetic. We want to uh, stay in a balanced state, and ba a balanced emotional state starts with a balanced body state. So just make sure that everything feels relax, not too tense. We're going to close our eyes. And we're just going to systemically start to soften all of the muscles that lead to or are signs of sympathetic arousal, threat detection. So we're going to first... Just notice the eyes behind closed eyelids, seeing if you can just whisper, relax, or settle. We want the eyes to not be jumping about 
not ping-ponging back and forth from left to right. If the eyes settle, there's a good chance the nervous system will switch back, again, settling the focus. Now we want to lower our attention to any muscles in the face, releasing any tension in the jaw. Um, And then moving our awareness down the throat. Imagine just relaxing the muscles in the throat. And when you get to awareness of the heart center, if you want, just resting a hand on your heart center or on the back of your neck. Just resting it, don't press, and just allow the feeling of the warmth to engage your vagal nerve, which is like the brakes of the autonomic nervous system. And while your hand's resting on your heart center, Take a nice full in-breath and then a very long, slow exhalation. And we want to just incline our breath towards long exhalations. Rapid in-breaths activate the sympathetic nervous system. They arouse us into alertness. But long exhalations do the opposite. They engage the nervous systems break and slow us down. So you want to have your breath as long and released, not pushing out the air, but just releasing. Mm. Softening the belly. Soft belly is another way to send a message back up the vagal nerve saying that we're okay, we're safe. And just for a moment, continuing down the sit bones and legs, just tightening and relaxing any areas that are tense allowing us to sink into whatever cushions or supports we're resting on.
Now bringing the awareness back to the belly, which is hopefully still soft and relaxed, not tight. If it is tight, just breathe into it. And with the in-breath, imagining it relaxing and expanding. And then the energy moves up the front of the body to the chest, which expands. And then with the exhalation, we just feel this release, relaxing the any contraction in the limbs or chest muscles, but at the same time, we're lowering heart rate. Blood pressure goes down, and then the energy goes back down to the abdomen. The longer the exhalation, the softer the belly, the more settled the eyes, the more settled the awareness. It's a great way to start resetting the nervous system. So we'll just practice this for a little while in silence. If you'd like to add awareness of sounds from your environment, that's great. Find a sound that's soothing. Sound that's ongoing, like cars in a distance, or people walking by, or cicadas, or crickets, or uh, wind rustling through trees, or any sound. Just allow the sounds to. Arrive and just rest your attention without trying to change anything about your environment. When we're trying to change something about our environment we're in, the sympathetic, when we accept everything, we relax into an environment we're in the window of tolerance, the social engaged setting. So every breath, every moment, even when our minds wander, are an opportunity to just return and soothe ourselves back into calm.
So if there happens to be a repetitive thought in the mind that's triggering or difficult, just allow it to be there, but make it smaller so that it seems further away. And then bring into mind a place in your life where you feel really safe, where you feel really relaxed, a place you've been, maybe by a stream or by in a park on a warm day or on a beach or say sitting in a favorite place Just make that image much more crisp, present, central. Keeping the belly soft, the exhalations long. See if you can resonate with these relaxing, priming images. So, if some image of a place that feels good, find your vagal nerve, rest your hand again on your chest or smile, or open, or breathe in a much more, even more relaxed way, or sigh, something that resonates with this secure image, and savor the feeling of being someplace where you feel truly secure. And now bring to our mind a mental representation of someone we associate with kindness, attention, interest. Just imagine that person looking at us with an appreciative, expression that resonates well with whatever we're feeling at this moment. If we're feeling good, imagine them smiling with uh, delight at our state. If we're feeling lonely or uh, sad or Overwhelmed, just imagine an expression of concern and interest.
And if you feel like it, a nice, nice full in-breath, and then as you breathe out softly, a kind of a sigh, ah. Mm. Almost to the point of beyond where we just feel that long releasing exhalation that's endemic of being in a regulated, relaxed, balanced state of the nervous system. Keeping the belly soft, the eyes settled. And then when you're ready, slowly bring your Open your eyes and try to bring with you into the rest of the evening this state, which means keeping throughout the evening a focus on the soft belly, the long exhalations, resting your gaze on objects in your environment that feel that are indicative of secure, safe, that are evidence that things are okay. Mm. 